right, so we have a game three post-game uh, jamboree slam slumber party. No, that's not right. Uh, a four-way oh, with no. what? me, Kyle, uh, Russ, as hey always, and we are joined by uh, Sixers writer extraordinaire Kevin Kincaid. Hello. Yep. And uh, Phil Kaidel. Welcome. What's happening? This is uh, this is fun. This is much more palatable that they won that game. Um, I would like to point out 18 for 34 from beyond the three-point line, 52.9%. Shout out to everyone uh, who said they were never going to shoot like that again, never going to hit 18 threes in a game or shoot over 50% after the game one barrage. Uh, this quite didn't this didn't definitely didn't feel like that. Uh, wasn't quite as efficient, but uh, 18 threes is nothing to uh, shake a stick at. All around awesome effort. Those Miami Heat, uh, in my book, are a bunch of playground ballers uh, with like the couple scrappy little white guys who show up. Um, I dislike that team. I think they are in a, they have been an affront to basketball the last two games. Finally, some calls went against Dwayne Wade in the second half, but like f them, f those guys. That's not basketball. You're not that good. If you got to win by clutching and grabbing, uh, you know, go after yourself in my book. Good effort. I'm excited. Uh, and now I've talked just talked myself into another bourbon. Go ahead, guys. That's that was really great. I don't know what kind of a moron would have said the Sixers three point shooting was not sustainable. I don't know who would have said that. I also don't know what kind of an idiot would have would have said whenever Joel Embiid comes back, you better not shoot threes because he went three or four. I don't know what kind of an idiot would have done that. You're taking a lot of L's, a lot of L's this week, Russ. That's so should, bad. It's... Later in the pod, we should touch on your uh, your tr- attempting to go back and uh, find your mistake in our old episode. Uh, but that's that, for that's, that's for later. That's a, that's a thing. Yeah, that that was a thing. I feel like I need an oxygen tank after watching that game. Like I need to just step away, or like if I was a smoker, I would go outside <laughs> and smoke a cigarette after that game just to kind of process everything that. Uh, that we just watched, but I think the immediate takeaway is that they beat Miami at their own game. You know, what Kyle is saying is true. That's how Miami's trying to play. They're trying to slow it down and uh, be a pest on the perimeter and hack and grab and chop and s- disrupt the flow of the game. I was joking with Russ before we started recording. I said, you know, I've, I've seen 10 years of that with Bob Huggins. You know, that's what every single game is like in college, you know. So the fact that the Sixers were able to – to get through that muck fest, come through the, the quagmire of, of crapola and come out on top and beat Miami at their own game uh, in their own, on, in their own arena, had their own half full arena uh, with Joel playing <laughs> with a mask and not, uh, you know, playing his first playoff game of all time too. And, and Simmons playing his first road playoff game. I mean, you know, my immediate takeaway is that that's, that's a game where shit, these guys just grew up, man. Um, you know, that's the kind of game where you slug it out in, in a tough playoff game, and they still turned it into a – what was the final margin? It wasn't 15 points. It was 17, 19, 20, something like it was, that. It was 20 points. Yeah, but it's just fantastic. And I think Brett, Brett Brown's best – the best decision he made was sticking with Joel because Joel was 0 for 5 to start. He was 6 for 8. He hit a bunch of free throws, but he wasn't getting anything to fall field goal-wise. Um, and then he finished five for 11. So I guess he went five for six from there after he had hit those first two shots at the very end of the second, uh, second quarter. So credit to Brad for sticking with him. There's two takeaways from me. This is a heroic performance by Embiid. 30 minutes, uh, almost 50% from the field, three for four from three, 10 for 15 from the line, 23 points. 
he did everything you could ask for for a guy who hadn't played in a few weeks. The only little caveat I'll give you out of this game is that Ben Simmons played 40 minutes. Fultz played four. McConnell played five. You know, look, Ben Simmons is a young guy, and he can carry a lot of weight, and he has shown that he's an aggressive personality and is not going to back down from anybody. But they're going to get through this Heat series pretty clearly. You can't keep running him 40 minutes a night for 20 more games or 24 more games. It's probably not going to work out. Well, I I thought it was actually, you know, as we look at the way that they're going to continue to spread around the ball handling responsibilities on this team, and kind of to your point, Phil, you know, why it's so important that, you know, maybe they try to spread the saddle, the wealth around a little bit more so that Ben isn't playing 40 minutes a game. Um, I, I found it really interesting at the end of the game watching Marco Bellinelli kind of run the offense the last six or so minutes of the fourth quarter. Um, you know, we got to see TJ come in and TJ, who's, you know, been much, I wouldn't say much of a line, but has, has kind of gone to the, the back of the rotation with Fultz, you know, coming back those last 10 games of the season. It was good to see him, one, come in and make a difference, make an impact, two, show the grit that we're used to seeing. And for better or worse, whether you like TJ McConnell or not, the grit that he brings to the table is exactly the kind of thing that they needed to match up against the Heat. And uh, that's interesting. And and I think maybe the the biggest takeaway I have or the biggest question, um, uh, the way that the rotation kind of played out today was, you know, I look at the box score, J.J. Redick played 28 minutes, but it certainly didn't feel like in that second half we saw him much. Maybe it was just I'm so focused on everybody else, but, I, I've, you know, Bellinelli had four more minutes in the game than him and, and you know, was, was sharing some of those primary ball handling responsibilities that in crunch time. thought it was interesting. Interesting think, personnel uh, decisions. Yeah, I, I, good points all around there. Um, yeah, I think there's one of those games where you sort of had a – this is a weird matchup because it's, these aren't when it, when these games are close. Like I've felt nervous the last two games, not because the Heat are better, but because of all those points we touched on about the way they want to play us. And uh, it's really it's really miserable, and it gives you this creeping sense of dread the entire time. Like, oh shit, we're gonna lose to this team. They're not that good. And I think it's a real it's in a dogfight like that. You need to kind of rely on your stars and and that's probably why you're seeing Simmons getting 40 minutes I think in a close game against a team that actually wants to play real basketball you probably don't need to do that with Simmons and you can give Fultz a little more burn he he is not I mean he's his line is zeros across the board in four minutes he is not remotely ready for this level of intensity Uh, I put in our slack I mean to me he looks like a little kid out there Um, and he's always kind of looked like that and the game is still catching up to him but, I mean, even his, like, you know, quasi-assists typically come from him dribbling into traffic, quasi-getting stuck, and then, you know, scooping it out, which is an effective strategy, and it's worked for a lot of point guards in NBA history, but uh, he, he is not ready for this. You could see him out there, uh, you know, he can't get the ball into the post on that one play. Uh, he dribbles and loses it, and when he gets to the top, top of the paint in another play. So I think you had, to, you, know, you had to come back to McConnell there in the second half like they did in Game 2, um, I thought the point about McConnell, Russ, I agree with you. Um, I actually was going to tweet, and I really wish I would have because two minutes before he came in, I was going to say I need uh, McConnell's the antidote to Dragic here uh, just to bring like that little bit of energy just to sort of like balance the realm of nerdy white guys. And, uh, you know, <laughs> lo and behold, he did it. I mean, you know, not a, he had five points in five minutes, but, uh, you know, brought in some energy, got a couple of baskets, 
uh, got in Dwayne Wade's face and got a foul called against them that was clearly not a foul. Um, but all around, uh, you know, all, all around good stuff. Should we just sort of like kind of go through the box score here? Because I think there's a different story for for you know basically everybody here. Like Reddick not playing as much as Bellinelli. To me, that feels like it's. Uh, Kyle, you know, I can Bill take that. a little bit better getting his shot off. I can, off. I yeah, can take ahead. that if you want to do that. Yeah, well, let me just, you know, I just wanted to start with the story that we did on the site today, the, the things to watch for in game two. Um, number one, I was talking about uncontested field goals, how they only hit 30% of open looks in game two. I don't have the advanced stats yet, so I'll just skip that. Uh, but going to point number two, Hassan Whiteside, was he going to be any different with Joel Embiid out there tonight? No, no, not at all. He was a total slug again. Um let me see. He only played like another 14 minutes, 13 minutes for Hassan Whiteside, uh, f- five points, uh, three of them from the foul line, and just two rebounds. So he was a total non-factor again. Uh, Dwayne Wade, we were talking about what's left. You know, is is he going to put up another 20 plus points? No. Uh, he was two for ten. I can't read these. Yeah, damn he's two, two for he's ten. Two yeah. for ten. Two for ten. Twenty percent. Uh, Two rebounds, five assists. Had that beef with Justin Anderson there where he grabbed him by the arm, uh, pulled him out of bounds, and then they did, what, double technicals on that? There was a, a couple there of three, double technicals there. Three sets. Three sets of double technicals in the game. Yeah, and it was interesting seeing those weird kind of subplots d- develop with uh, Justin Anderson and Dwayne Wade. Then you had Justice Winslow and uh, Embiid sharing blocks on each other. You had some uh, European uh, conflict going on there with uh, Bellinelli and, <laughs> and uh, Goran Dragic. And Dragic yeah. It was very interesting to see that, that stuff kind of develop, but... Yeah, I mean, Miami shot the ball well, 45%, uh, you know, 48.5% from three-point range. Uh, they hit 16 to 33. So, you know, there was, there was a, a minute there where Justice Winslow was hitting anything and everything, you know, four for six from three. Uh, I'd like to oversimplify this if I could for just a minute. Yeah, man. As far as I look at this series, it's like this. The Sixers came out in game one, and they made everything they looked at. And, of course, they're going to win by 27 when they make every three they tee up. And the Heat aren't ready for it, and you know Ilyasova is looking like an all-star, et cetera, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So Spolstra does what he has to do in that situation. He knows Embiid's not playing in Game Two, so he gums it up and makes it much harder for the Sixers to tee up those shots. And sure enough, the Sixers missed a whole bunch of shots in Game Two, and the Heat ground out a win. And the narrative for three days or two and a half days has been, "What will the Sixers do now?" Well, here's what the Sixers did now: Embiid played. And as far as I'm concerned, it's daddy's home. Embiid showed up and scored 23 points. And his, uh, Hassan Whiteside had five points, as you referenced, and was a complete non-factor. I mean, a complete waste of space on the floor. He played 13 minutes. He shouldn't have played that many. Now that Embiid is healthy and playing again, it's very hard to imagine the Heat winning another game in this series. It's, he's just soft, Phil. You know, and like the thing is, uh, you know, this is year number one on, on the NBA beat for me. So I'm trying to stay away from like the, the scorching hot takes like this guy sucks or that guy sucks or this coach sucks or whatever. Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to get burned here. I'm trying to just sort of ease my way into it, right? But I feel uh, entirely confident in saying that Hassan Whiteside is just, is just garbage, man. Uh, I, I mean, I know he, he only played 50-some games in the regular season. He had some injuries towards the end or whatever, but uh, I've never seen a softer performance from a big man, you know, in the last whatever couple playoff series that I've watched. He's um, a poor man's Vucevic. 
No, oh, I know, right? Whoa, no, no and I, 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 you know, I think the thing is that I was wondering if Embiid coming back into the lineup in some strange way would kind of galvanize uh, Whiteside and kind of like, you know, give him something to play off and give him something to inspire him because he just looks not that motivated out there. He doesn't play hard, none of that stuff. But no, I mean, his ass was pretty much glued to the bench for for most of the game, and uh, you know, Spolster countered with Olenek again, like he did in the first first two games. Which is wacky, too, because, like, that was the thing going into the game. Uh, as it's been rumored that Embiid was going to, you know, p- potentially come back for Game 3, that was, you know, the Miami media had picked up on this idea that that meant that Spolster was going to counter with Whiteside. It was Whiteside's best chance to get himself some significant minutes in this game. Yeah. yeah. And um, it, it it didn't work out. And, like, the idea that they're going to play Olenek because Olenek's going to draw Joel out to the three-point arc, I mean, I guess in some way that makes sense. But that's why, you know, the flexibility that they have because they've got, what, four guys at any given time that are 6'9 or taller. You know, you can just as easily rotate Dario out and keep Joel under the hoop. I mean, it, it it's just strange. Like, and, and, like, it's not even something that I think Spolstra has done poorly. Like, I think he's tried to give Whiteside every opportunity to seize the moment, and he just hasn't. He's dropped the ball in, in practically every way. And the fact, like, look, in this NBA playoffs, in other series, like, it's been an issue, like, Carl uh, Anthony Towns hasn't been putting up many shots in his series, and he's a legitimate star, right? Mm-hmm. Whiteside is certainly not a star, but for him to only go into a game and and put up one shot in the entire game is is a you know borderline criminal in a, in a sense. And you know if he gets matched up there against let's say Amir Johnson, like I've got to think that for a guy who used to you know criticize Joel Embiid for going on Twitter and campaigning for votes, as as Whiteside put it. You know, you would think the guy would have enough pride to go in and be able to at least get, you know, three, four, five shots up from in the, from deep in the paint. Like, take over a game. Do what you're supposed to do. Do what people thought you were supposed to be, you know, when you uh, were a breakout star as a rookie. And he just hasn't done it. it. It's a very strange career trajectory to see, you know, how how this has gone for him. For for all the reasons you guys just, uh, just described, um, you know, I think that's why we saw the heat turning towards uh, one of you mentioned these – these little battles. Um, I mean, I let's rank them. I mean, you have Justin Anderson and Dwayne Wade, which is maybe the most unlikely, uh, <laughs> unlikely playoff battle you could possibly envision. Yeah. Uh, wait, I'm not sure I've ever seen a player yank a guy by the arm when he doesn't have the ball uh, and just yank him out of bounds like that. I think you had to call the offsetting technicals there because Anderson came back a little hard. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I'm not sure I've ever seen that. Like Wade, Wade is clearly, clearly trying to pull his veteran card and, and a get the calls, but also b really understanding that the only way the Heat have a shot here is to really get under everybody's skin. And the minute he saw Justin Anderson on him, he decided that okay, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna test out this young guy and see if I can get him the break. And you know, he did a little bit, um, but it actually sort of fired him up and uh, you know got Anderson, you know bending over at a 90 degree angle to defend him the next time mm-hmm. down the court. So yeah. that's, that's sort of backfired. Uh, and then you get, you know, you get the guys yelling at each other. I think, I think someone had tweeted, I think it may have been Les Bowen. How come, uh, uh, Drogic and, uh, Bell, uh, Bellinelli didn't get a technical when they were yelling at each other. I, I don't, I don't know if the ref understands a romance language. Um, just, uh, that was a long way to go for that. Um, <laughs> Well, they had but yeah. There was the one where Dragic kind of like like flexed at him after the like uh, gave him like the incredible Hulk looking thing after Bellinelli tried to try to foul him going up there. Yeah, that was strange. Yeah, that, that yeah. should have been his second technical. Yeah, and I mean, 
by the way, Kyle, you know, um, Slovenian's a, it's a Slavic language. I know that you're going for Bellinelli with Italian, but. I thought you know, Brian Anderson, who did a terrible job with Kevin McHale on TNT, uh, uh, mentioned painful. it was in Italian. But, yeah, they, yeah they, but they, they, I think they what, do speak uh, some Italian, though, don't they? Italian. Don't they speak Ooh. some? Because Slovenia is on the border of uh, Italy. Don't they speak some Italian in Slovenia? That I don't know. Time to dust, dust off your uh, Slovenia knowledge, Aaron, see if you can find that out for me. got decent enough Italian. Italian is Quick the co-official. Yep, there you go. Italian is, is co-official with Slovene in three municipalities in Slovenian portion of Istria. <laughs> there you go. There yeah. you go. Okay, yeah. And there just so everybody knows, it's it's Slovenia. Like, I hear people saying, like, uh, like Slovenia, like it rhymes with Pennsylvania. So it's, it's definitely uh, – I just wanted to make sure we got that important – a geography lesson in there or slovenia you get some of that too yeah um, just to chip in real quickly on our slack we were commenting that <laughs> reddick looked a little sour on the bench because he only had 10 points and he didn't really make an impact on this game to be honest with you i would think this would be a dream situation for jj reddick reddick is like an ingredient in a dish that you don't want to overdo okay he is great to score 31 points in game one, wherever many he had, and just be a, a source of points throughout the series. But you don't want to be over-relying on him. Here's a night where he didn't have a great game, and they won by 20 anyway. I would think if you're Jay Duretic tonight, you're thinking, man, look at this. I don't have to carry this team. I can have one out of three games where I dominate, and we'll win those games. And then the games that I'm not great, we'll probably win two out of three of those anyway because I've got teammates. Like, See, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. but he's See, a prideful now, guy. You, you bring up the ingredient. I think that that's fair, but maybe doing a little bit of a disservice to Reddick unless, um, you know, I know specifically what ingredient you're talking about here. Like, I would go like he's like a like a truffle, like a truffle uh, sauce or a truffle oil <laughs> on a fry. You got to stop. Like, he's this expensive. Hello, this, whole, this Hello Fresh thing. Let him finish. No, this let him finish. Hello Fresh please. is not sending right. you truffles. Please Occasionally him, you get please truffle Please let him oil. finish. No, but it's like, you know, he's re- like a truffle will make your dish significantly better. Or, you know, truffle flavoring. I'm not I'm not what eating is... at five-star restaurants every oh night. God. No, but Kyle's he's a truffle. Right. You... Kyle's right. All right, Kyle. So in what Kevin, dish? Kevin like, knows, Kevin knows where I'm going no, listen, with this. The no, point no, is Russ, you can't – hold because... on. Let me just real quick. Yeah. One more second. Yeah. You, can't, you can't have truffles by themselves, but they can take a good dish and make it truly great. And I think that's what Reddick is. I think you're he's doing like a disservice to say, you know, you need them in smaller doses. You know, he's not Tomas Perez. Um, he, you know, he shouldn't be the number one focal point of your offense, but he is, I mean, to me, having not watched him a ton in the NBA, um, he was, he has been better than expected. Uh, he's more you want truffle infused dishes. You want truffle infused dishes every night. I don't, I want it like once yes. or four. That's why I'm saying, yeah, do, that's man. why I'm saying, I think he's more like a shallot because, you know, speaking I drink of my water and, with my pinky. And Anthony, you know, know Anthony Bourdain <laughs> is not a big fan of uh, truffle oil. And, uh, you know, this is where we kind of come back a around shallot. to uh, shallots. Shallots are something that are often used in cooking that kind of elevate that sauce. It's the one of the last ingredients you might add in there to uh, to add a little bit of flavor. Some shallots now, listen, and butter. That was Anthony Bourdain in Kitchen Confidential. You're welcome. In game, yeah, now in you just game described one. T.J. McConnell. Game one. T.J. is not media. a shallot. Can I, can I do a truffle comparison here? Game yeah. game one uh, in the media room, they were serving like flank steak, and uh, they had truffle mac and cheese. So they kind of stepped oh. stepped up their game for the wow. for the playoffs, right? But Russ, listen, man, you can get mac and cheese, right? You can get like that Velveeta shit, like the shells and cheese. It's it's beautiful, right? But you can make it better by having truffle mac and cheese, right? Like both of them are good, but which one are you gonna pick if you had the choice? 
know, Phil's for game two. The Velveeta throw a little bit of ground beef in there, hate yourself for it after. Like, but Phil's saying, like, I only want the plain stuff. Like, no, if if you got mac and cheese sitting to your left, and you got truffle mac and cheese sitting to your right, and you got like, you know, whatever lobster mac and cheese to the right of that, I think you're picking the latter two instead of the former. Are you not? I think lobster uh, mac and cheese is a little bit overrated, but I I, I understand what you're yeah. Get out. I, I, it's more of a truffle mute, than a shallow thing for me. Seriously, like lobster lobster mac and cheese is the hill that you're gonna die on. It's a, it's a hill I'll do battle on. I don't know if I'll sacrifice it all, but I will do battle on that hill. While what we're are on, some of your favorite mac and cheese dishes that you haven't eaten recently? Six one. I like the food comparison. Justin Anderson's on TV right now. What what sort of food would he be? Would he be like a like a like a spiced Brussels sprout? <laughs> <laughs> what's I don't know. What's something you only eat like on for special occasions? I, I don't know. Uh, like he's green bean casserole. Yeah, green. He's bean green casserole. bean casserole. Yeah. It's something that you kind of look yeah. forward to. You occasionally think would be a good side dish to have, but you only pull it out once every every few months. And when you do, so, you're you're a little bit satisfied. Feel like All right, so let me bring here. this back. Let me bring this back. Some meat and potatoes sports analysis, if I may. <laughs> My concern now is that this is a seven man rotation. Amir Johnson played 14 minutes tonight. If Embiid is going to play the rest of these games in, in the playoffs, Johnson's not going to play very often. And you look at Bellinelli off the bench tonight, 33 minutes, Ilyasova 20, and the five starters between 26 and 40. Um, can they make a long and deep playoff run with seven guys playing most of the minutes? I'm not really sure. It, again, I don't think you're going to get – I think you're going to get some combination of Fultz or McGang. You know, Kevin, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but mm-hmm. I would think you're going to get on most nights more than a combined nine minutes out of Fultz and McConnell. I just think the way this matchup and these last two games have gone, it's kind of dictated that you they, they haven't gotten any separation. I mean, I think the the largest margin throughout the game was four or five points, and obviously they were trailing for a good chunk of game too. And you know, in those situations, you really can't. You can't, you know, spell Simmons for that long. I don't, I, they were up 32-20 in this game, Kyle. Yeah, but that's nothing. At I mean, point. like, it, yeah. That's but, 12 points. No, so like, what? You're those, talking about no separation. Yeah, and I matter. think that was those during I think that was during Fultz's. That's when Fultz came in anyway. Like, that was during yeah. Ben Simmons' standard bench-sitting time. And then it gets out of hand. And not, you know, it gets close. I shouldn't say out of hand. It gets close. And then, you know, all you could really do is go to McConnell for a little bit in the second half to, to give Simmons a blow. I think the rotation I don't, I don't th- was a little, was a little de- wacky there, too, because it I was. think you had Bellinelli coming in earlier for Redick when, when Bellinelli normally spends most of his time with the second unit anyway, so or, or half and half, I guess. So I, but I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think you saw a little bit from McConnell tonight that kind of says maybe you got something uh, running him as the backup point guard of the next game, and then Simmons doesn't have to play 40 minutes. But um, no, I think it's still early enough in the playoffs, and you got a 2-1 to one series lead right now where you can still try Markell if you think he's got it. And if not, I think you're comfortable with, with TJ doing what he's doing. I mean, is it a step down? Obviously, but uh, I, I think he gives you enough that you can you can feel okay with giving him more than the five or six minutes that you gave him tonight. And I, I, I would add that I mean, Fultz is probably okay in a, in a series that's more open. I mean, the Heat is probably the worst matchup for Fultz to be playing in because they want to slow it down. They're junking it up. I mean, if he's he's going to be effective in situations where you can really open it up a little bit more and get out and transition yeah. his skills, you know, his skills right now are, are fine for that or, you know, more than fine for that. They excel at that, but well, uh, def- in the def- half court, but you're not going to get like, if, if you advance yeah. past this round, you're not going to be going up against an open floor team in Boston. 
Like Boston, for for as as many injuries as they've gone through, and whether or not Marcus Smart returns and all that, um, like they they are still going to press you. So like, this is kind of where I I disagree with like I guess what the conventional wisdom is going to be on this, or what the consensus it feels like is. Markel still has to play. Like I I don't care what the situation is. I you know if if it ends up being that it's going to be in junk time, like if you are able to get early separation in game four, then fine, and and you get him in, but. He needs to play. He needs to continue to get real live game reps because if he doesn't, throwing him in against the Boston defense that Brad Stevens is going to draw up for him against, you know, legitimate athletes and and guys who are going to get up in your grill like uh, Jalen Brown will and Terry Rozier will. I mean, you know, people don't like to to talk about them because they're, uh, you know, some of the guards that they have going are their third or fourth string guards. But those guys are going to play hard. And so you know, Brad Stevens is a smart enough coach to realize that he's going to have to run a press against Fultz the same way that Spolstra did uh, in Fultz's run in the first half. I mean, they didn't run a whole lot of press against Ben Simmons early in the game, but as soon as Fultz came in, they wanted to jam him up full court just to see if he would, you know, force himself into an error of some sort. So, I mean, the only open matchup that you're going to get is if you advance to the Eastern Conference Finals and you play against Cleveland because they can't play defense. And, like, the idea of having Fultz play two, three minutes a game and essentially putting him on ice until you get to a, a more open matchup, like, I, I don't think that's beneficial to him, and it certainly wouldn't be that beneficial to the team. They've got to figure out a way to get him involved in the game to get him in a position to be successful. And whether that's putting him in with another ball handler, if that's TJ, if that's Ben, uh, you know, maybe you can't have him be the, the primary backup if there's not another guy on the, the floor that can, you know, be a ball handler. Um, they've got to figure out a way to get him integrated in this offense. It'll it'll benefit them long term. It'll benefit them in a deeper playoff run. So what did we uh, what did we think of the mask that Joel was wearing? Not only uh, the the design of it and the goggles and stuff like that, but do you think it affe- it affected him the zero for five the zero for five start? I mean, it seemed like he was fidgeting with it a little. Like he would take it off uh, during free throws. Uh, kind of pull it up over top of his head, and there was a couple times where the where the you know goggle part of it sort of came detached, and they they had like two backups there or whatever. Um, it seemed like he was more annoyed that he had to play with it rather than any sort of tangible whatever. Um, but I don't know. I just I yeah. just found the whole thing kind of interesting. You know, I think he clearly fucking hated it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean he threw it off that one time. I don't know if you guys saw the Miami Heat feed, and uh, have this we'll have this on site tomorrow. Um, Justice Winslow stepped on the goggles portion. Yeah, when they fell off, which is really shitty. Like intent, like that's shitty. I'm sorry. Like kick them if you want to be a poor sport. Kick them. Don't step on them. What if? All right, what well, if I mean, but in, in fairness, like it's it's smart gamesmanship, right? Like if if it forces him off the court and he's the guy who changes the momentum of the game, that it's it's a brilliant play by Justice Winslow, who whose parents did not brilliantly name him. They misspelled his name, but that's fine. That's you know. Yeah, I don't, late yeah, in the yeah, second half, <laughs> late in the second half, Embiid made two free throws with that mask on, which I noticed because he had pulled it up yeah. earlier in the game mm-hmm. and missed at least one, maybe yep. two. And late in the game, he was like, you know what, I'm leaving this mask on, and he buried both the free throws. Yep. And it was almost like, you know what, step on the goggles, elbow me, whatever you want. It doesn't matter. I'm going to stick these free throws, and you have nothing on me. And, again, this game, a 20-point beatdown, in Game Three, when the Heat are, you know, theoretically right there in the series, it's hard to imagine that the Sixers find any way to lose this series. Now, I don't think they're going to. It could go. I I do think that 
you know, it, maybe it's the Philadelphia thing and it's the near, the knee jerk reaction, but this, the series could still go six. It could still go seven. I'm not convinced that they're going to go off. Like I think somebody early in this, we podcast need a segment said, that says Russ goes out on a limb without actually going no, out on a limb. Well, because well, early in the podcast, could go no, six. Well, I mean, check Twitter it, right now, Kyle. There's maybe, nobody going because right now people are like, Oh, they've blown out Miami twice in this series. You know, they're certainly going to go. They're going to go. I mean, Miami's got their tail between their legs. Philly's going to go blow them out by 25 in game four. <laughs> Come home and have some of that good old home cooking. We're going to get our cheesesteak cutaways, our Rocky montage, and they're going to talk about Joel Embiid wearing masks, and it's going to be great. And they're going to win in five games. I don't see it, okay? Like, it's fine. Truffle cheesesteak. I'm sorry. You, you know where there is a truffle cheesesteak? Is there? Woodrow's. Yeah, Woodrow's. Um, I haven't been there yet. There was a guy who did a, a, a cheesesteak thing, I think, for Travel Channel. Or for J.J. Reddick scoops it but, into your mail. Yeah. Wouldn't that be something? But <laughs> what is Sorry. This, this, is, this, this is amazing. Justin Anderson like I'm just sits there looking pissed off eating his Brussels sprouts. I was so proud of Justin Anderson in this game. That, I Jeff, agree. Jeff has, yeah. been, Jeff has been calling for him in Slack a lot. He was right, um, and and that's been brought up before. Like, what what possible negative could could Justin Anderson bring to the game? He's still a decent defender, although <laughs> the Dwayne Wade cross up where he ended up on his rear end on, at the free throw line was pretty amazing. Um, and he he knocked down I think at least one or two threes in the game, which was you know a positive to see him step in. If that does allow them to uh, to rotate in a few different wings and present a couple different matchups that players aren't you know used to. Uh, I think it'll be a good thing for them going forward in this series. Like it, it certainly does not help. I was a little bit sad to see Furkan Korkmaz uh, in street clothes. Maybe it's just me. probably just. Me. I apologize if my laughing is throwing everybody off. I'm kind of delirious after uh, after today. It started with the roofers coming over, and they still can't find the leak uh, in the roof. We don't even we don't even know if it's in the roof anymore. We think it might be on the front of the house now. So I'm kind of like at the end of. Uh, Approaching the end of the day and kind of lo- losing it a little bit, you know what I mean? Not I guess, not a good week to have a leaky roof. Yeah, not. yeah, no. But uh, <laughs> we but need to get a roofer as a uh, as a sponsor, and we'll get you oh, we'll get you fixed yeah, out there. I, yeah, kinker. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <sighs> after oh my, after uh, you uh, after you get married, after you buy the ring, then saving your wedding. Then we'll uh, we'll save you on some home repairs. That's right. I got you I, know. And speaking of rings, I got to shout out uh, Bob's uh, girlfriend for jumping on Twitter and creating a Twitter account uh, just to follow him uh, during sports games um, because I guess he doesn't pay enough attention to her when the Phillies play. You know, that, that was play. pretty. That's pretty incredible. So I shout out to Holly. Tweet. Shout out to Holly on the Crossing broadcast. I respect her tweet. Remember that time I created a Twitter account so my boyfriend would pay attention to me. Hi, Bob. <laughs> I respect the effort. Uh, then when you dig in, if you look at her uh, profile here, uh, she's following one person, and that's Bob. So that means uh, that means every time she logs on Twitter, all she is seeing oh, is Bob, <laughs> Bob's, Bob's tweets. So she one, imagine that existence. And, yeah. She's and, angry, uh, man. And, yeah, and two, man, uh, you know, you, you, he might he might have a stage eight on his hands. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I kid, no, I, I, I kid. The bigger, the bigger kid. issue it's is funny. that she she tweeted a thing in the fall about <laughs> liking the men in green, also known as the Seahawks. I think that's a uh, oh, man. that's a fireable offense. Ooh, could be. By the that's way, Eagles issue. are three and a half point early favorites over the Falcons in Week One. Oh, thank goodness! Did so, I did I miss something? Weren't they supposed to open against the Vikings? That, that ended was up not being true. Yeah. Y- yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. 
Yeah, they just, play the Vikings checking. in week. Uh, it's week five now, but it's at yeah. it's at home. Yeah, so yeah, I just I thought they were opening the season here like that. Do you want to do? Win, do you want to do uh, Eagles schedule wins and losses, or should we do a special edition of the the crossing broadcast for that? <laughs> no, I think we could probably go this is pretty quickly. Ready? Win, 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 loss. Fifteen and one done. Can I just say the and there I just programmed the, a day's worth of radio. Oh, could for because you. oh, at the very the season finale because they're fifteen and zero and they're just resting the starters. Is that what you? Is that what? Now they're, they're still going to win because Nick, Nick because Carson Wentz, who's going to serve as the backup quarterback all season, is going to go no. in and win them <laughs> game game in week seventeen and start a quarterback. Colleen Wolf, who is an NFL Network employee and a Philly native, also the videographer uh, at my wedding. There you go. She wait, posed, really? She mm-hmm. posed by a schedule board of the Eagles with 16 wins, which I thought was very nice. That's good. That is nice. Well, she deserves That's it because after she had to do all that uh, crapola with uh, Mar- um, Maurice Jones-Drew where he picked the Vikings to win in uh, every single facet of the game, um, and she was outnumbered by the, the two or three dudes who were in the studio and just, like, looking Agreed. at them. Now, now, it's, now they get their, uh, their comeuppance, you know? So. Pretty much. Real time update here: Joel Embiid on Justice Allegedly. Winslow He's breaking his mask. Little did they know, I have fifty of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, if I don't know what broadcast you guys watch on the TNT broadcast. You actually did see the uh, trainer, or, you know, who equipment manager digging in, and he, mm. they had them wrapped in like the way you would wrap like expensive sunglasses. <laughs> there was just like a stack of them. So I guess they weren't too confident on them actually sticking on, which is which is probably the right something call. about the national broadcast real quick. I just I can't stand the coach uh, interview in the middle of the game. And I know that they tape them during, uh, you know, during a timeout, like they pull them over for a minute and then they play it when they come back from commercial. But it's just like just a I mean, there's there's no there's no reason that a coach should ever have to talk to the media in the middle in the middle of a game. I mean, come on, man! You're in the playoffs. Yeah, you're gonna ask him to. Well, what's he? What are you gonna ask him anyway? Like, what is he gonna give you? You know, it's all it's always generic bullshit, is it not? It usually is. I like to see him in the in the throes of battle. <laughs> I enjoy him during the NCAA tournament because they have uh, it's pre-scripted as to the the leading coach at halftime will yeah. get the interview, and if it's tied, it'll be the favorite. And then uh, you know, so I always I always enjoy that because it, you know. Well, well now they have now it's always, it's now everybody's right. there's always somebody. Well, yeah. Well, there's there's always somebody <laughs> mic'd up anyway, though. You know what I mean? And then you just pull that. You know, if they win, and then it gives you a better idea of what the hell's going on anyway. You know. Well, it was know, the best moment. The best mic'd up moment was you know one of you brought it up before, but when when um, Brett and uh, what's the name of the the head trainer. The, uh, I don't remember what his Keith? name is. Yeah, I think it's those Keith, yeah. two. Those two running out to midcourt, trying to get Joel's attention with like to get the the fixed mask back out to him, and Embiid just kind of waving them off, and uh, Brett saying, "No, he's you're going to wear this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hands it hands it over to to Ben and says, "He's got to put this thing on." Like that that to me was was one of the best moments. I was I was I, actually wondering at some point like, is is it going to take Joel's eye falling out of his head for him to realize that he needs to wear the mask? That has happened on a basketball court, and it's a trivia question for you guys. You tell me the last local athlete to have his eye pop out of his head during a basketball game? Uh, I don't know. It was a Kevin question. It was Alan Ray in the Big East tournament. Oh, yeah. He got, Wait, poked, in, he got poked in the eye by Carl Krauser. I remember that. That's right. He's yeah. 78-year-old Carl Krauser. <laughs> I hated Carl Krauser. It, uh, Kevin Johnson is the head athletic trainer. 
um, ah, okay. for the Sixers. Yeah. You brought up a good point about the broadcast. I, so I want to do a little poll here as to what everybody watched. I I have to I like the Sixers home broadcast, but I see it all year, and we've been watching basically meaningless basketball for you know four straight years and i've been longing for the days of national tv spotlight games especially playoff games so i'm kind of inclined to just watch the national broadcast so it feels like more of an event um so that's what i've been doing mm-hmm. um to, and i'm you know i complain about a lot generally i think the national broadcasts are pretty good i actually like brian anderson i thought he did a good job on roy halliday's no hitter a few years ago mm-hmm. um but him and Kevin McHale were downright dreadful. Like that whole Wade sequence, it was like like we were watching two different replays. You know, they're talking about how Justin Anderson should get it. Like at no point did they even mention that there was like any fault on the part of Wade. And then I flip over to Comcast, you know, and Mark's, you know, and all his heads are going to pop off watching the replay. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I know there's it's a homer crowd, but I thought TNT was very – the, the announcers uh, were very, very poor. And Kevin McHale, uh, if, if I heard one more time about when he used to play, like I was going to punch the screen. I had and I don't think he's watched the Sixers at all this year, by the way. I watched TNT with you, Kyle. The thing I think even had me more infuriated was it felt like every time we came back from a commercial, wow, this is a really exciting game of basketball. Really exciting stuff out here. It's been very competitive. Very exciting game. An exciting game here of NBA basketball. Very exciting. Exciting game, right, Kevin? It it felt like every single stoppage of play, we were reminded how exciting it was. And I kept sitting there thinking, no, this hasn't been exciting at all because the refs have called a foul on practically every possession. It's the most disjointed game of basketball I can remember watching. Uh, No, You didn't see the second quarter of the last game. Yeah, but some people saying, like, listen, as, some people as a, like as a, that, as, a though. as an entire game though, like yeah, but I mean that, that whole first half, like they score what a hundred or what was it one twenty four hundred twenty four points total in the first half. It did not feel like a run and gun game. No, it but did it's not. not but I, it's I, not, I thought it was not always like they were really feeling it's it. It's not up. always going to be. I mean, like there's there's some some beauty and physicality when it's working and if Miami's playing that type of game and it works in their favor and they end up winning the game then you would say yeah that's that's effective basketball for them no it's not aesthetically pleasing you know it's not pleasing to the eye nor when West Virginia fouls Villanova 15 times in the first eight minutes of the Sweet 16 nobody says that's great basketball but if it's strategic and and effective that's one thing so I don't know. I mean, I think they were saying it for more of like a macro kind of thing. You know, it's a competitive game. It's a back and forth thing. I don't I don't think anybody was really thinking that they were saying this is, you know, beautiful basketball to watch. Embiid is apparently killing the postgame press conference right now. It's from uh, Sarah Todd. Uh, quote, we're not here to make friends. We're here to win a series. That's Joel Embiid after saying he's glad Dario scored late with a lead because he didn't feel like uh, Dragic. Someone pronounced this. Dragic. Dragic. Got enough shit after he did the same in game yeah, two. Yeah, he made the layup. Uh, yeah, if, yeah. Yep, and if you can get you up 22, it's always good. We're not here to make friends. He also said, I'm going to be their nightmare. <laughs> so, uh, that's strong good, words. Man. That's playoff basketball. I mean, that's the that's stuff you want to. He was built for this. Yeah, I built, mean, he was it, it's perfect, molded man. Molded by this. All these little subplots, all the little interesting stories, you know, the, one, the 1v1 stuff with the guys that we mentioned earlier. This is the stuff you live for. I mean, this is the best part about about playoff basketball. I mean, think about all the great series that the Sixers had with the, with the Celtics back in the day and, um, you know, all that these rivalries that are built up 
you know, over the course of, of, of playoff series and playoff games too. You know, the regular season's just not the same. You know, I mean, it, it's cool to see the Sixers turn the corner in this sense. The other thing about the national broadcast too is you kind of get an interesting viewpoint on how they see the rebuild and the, the process and how they view Brett Brown because we're so insulated with, you know, local opinions and, and things that people are saying on like our Twitter feeds and, and, and social media and whatnot that – uh, you know, it's always unique to get that perspective from what other people are saying about these players, whether you agree with it or not, you know. Honestly, I heard Russ say earlier he was worried about this series going six or seven. And I said sixers and six before the series started, but I wasn't sure Embiid would play. And a night like tonight where they win by 20 and Embiid plays the way he did, man, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to say it's over, but it's pretty close. It's really hard to look at this Heat team and think that they're going to score enough points in the next two games to outscore the Sixers and avoid losing in five. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you could, you could point to the fact, I mean, if you're Miami, you're sitting there saying, well, we beat them once in Philly, but, again, no Embiid. You know, so I don't know how much, how much weight, you know, that carries now, you know, based on how the series has changed. You know, uh, even if the Sixers, I think I had the Sixers in seven, maybe in the first uh, in the first series, just as a safe kind of whatever kind of thing. But uh, I mean, if Embiid's going to play the way he did tonight for the rest of the series, then I don't I don't see how it goes any more than six. You know, do you guys? What they showed tonight was only a couple guys or a few guys need to get hot for them to separate themselves from the mm-hmm. Heat, or literally one Sarich, guy, like literally. Yeah, Sharich went yeah. four for seven. Covington two for two from three, Embiid three for four from three. Bellinelli started hot, right? Yeah, that's all they need. Just a couple, a few guys, and if they do that, the Heat can't keep up. You can't count on Whiteside to do anything. And look, Justice Winslow scored nineteen points tonight, but that's an anomaly. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. I guess Day you also day. know you've got to be in good shape. You know, when you're when you're holding your own against a team that's led by a uh, an Ewok named Tyler Johnson running up and down the floor with a, uh, a busted up thumb. I, I, I saw somebody tweeted that uh, Goran Dragic, uh, Tyler Johnson, and Kelly Olenek uh, could have easily been um, mistaken as a meth-dealing drug ring out of Lancaster County. <laughs> I saw that. They're, yeah. they're, they're three, of, three of the most peculiar-looking human beings. Tyler Johnson looks like uh, Sean Couturier. No, that's that's just offensive to Sean Couturier. <laughs> I mean, what other basketball player are you going to find? Tyler Johnson's got like this weird thing where like his beard and his hair are the same texture, but it's, it's like an uncomfortable texture. I don't, I don't like it, how, <laughs> how he didn't play for Syracuse is beyond me. Uh, yeah, he's, he reminds me of, uh, what's like a, like a Devendorf or something. Devendorf and a McNamara. Like he McNamara. If, if Villanova has cornered the market on the, the like white Italian point guard, yeah. then it's uh, uh Syracuse is, is yeah. cornered it on like the, gr- like, grungy grungy piece of shit exactly right. <laughs> did you do you guys find yourselves like I, I started with the heat as as a neutral i didn't really hate them i certainly didn't like them but like now at this point i feel like the way that that they've been getting chippy the way that it seems like especially like the wade play that was just dirty i'm very worried uh that at some point somebody's going to take a, a cheap shot at Embiid. like maybe it's in the game clinching or the series clinching game but i i am a little bit worried it, it won't be Obviously, something as blatant as a punch to the head, but I I do worry that Joel gets in the post um, defensively, and somebody you know just happens to kind of wrap an elbow around and kind of messes day up a little bit. 
I, I wouldn't put it past this team. They they are not a clean team. They are not a team that looks to be playing ethical basketball. I, I'm not I'm not sold on them, and I certainly hate them now. I I don't I've never hated Dwayne Wade. I don't know if I can hate Dwayne Wade. He looks like a cherub. But everybody else on that team, I, I could. I, could I don't know if I've ever out. heard that term before. Ethical basketball. Friendly, friendly. Uh, I, I don't know. Like do, sportsmanlike. Dwayne. Sportsmanlike is better, I guess. <laughs> Dwayne Wade has. I don't know what a cherub looks like. Is that? An, it's an angel. Yes. It's like a, like a baby angel, like a little, okay. little, has like I, the bow little and arrow. I yeah. don't recall him having a resting bitch face the way he's had this series. I mean, he is face. he is emotionless. Like he's got video game face in the series. Uh, it's a little bit freaky, uh, but I I would say that tonight's game is the is probably the chippiest I've seen. Uh, you know, certainly a playoff series. There hasn't been many to choose from. But I would go. What was it? The 2012 series, Game Three against the Penguins, uh, where things got really out of hand with Hartnell and all that. That's yeah. what this feels like. That's what the Heat remind me of mm-hmm. here. Uh, it's maybe a little bit of a reverse situation because, or you know, not quite the same because the Heat, you know, don't have that level of talent and and rivalry with the Sixers. But they, it, just, it just feels like they're petty, like you know. It, and maybe it's a little different because in that game, the, the Flyers were getting under the Penguin skin, and it's kind of the opposite here, where it's like the Heat are trying to make the game like this. Uh, but it's like every time down the floor, you're like, you know, what sort of hand check foul are they going to get away with uh what sort of call is going to go Dwayne Wade's way you know what sort of violent thing are they going to do and you know I was I, I agree with you I'm worried about Embiid taking a, a forearm fucking shiver to that eye mask I don't uh, you I, know, but I think I, it's going to happen I don't think that they're playing that way necessarily because they are you know inherently assholes or because they're dirty or whatever I just think that that was identi- they identified that if they're going to win the series and they're going to be competitive and that's what they're going to have to do you know, like Eric Spolscher doesn't come across as a douchebag to me. He probably just put a game plan into place that said, look, we're not as talented as these guys. They are the sixth seed for a reason. You know, if we're going to beat them, this is what we have to do. I think what we said about Miami sure. all year long was like the real all-star, the only real all-star on that team is probably Eric Spolscher because you go up and down, you look at their roster and they have a bunch of got like nice players. Like you'd look at their roster and you'd say like, like Kelly Olenek, he's a nice player. Or like uh, James Johnson, you know, he's a nice player or whatever, but, but there, there's nobody, there's no like real superstar on that team. I mean, 36 year old Dwayne Wade, uh, Dragic, who was an all-star replacement, like Hassan Whiteside. There's, there's nothing. It's just a bunch of guys, and so I think, like collectively, that's how they have to play, and that's the kind of mindset they have to have, and the kind of tactics they have to have, you know, to be competitive with the Sixers and to bog them down because they just, you know, they can't compare when it comes to star power. This is sort of the segue that I would make with reference to the Flyers series with the Penguins, if you get right down to it. I mean, Russ wants or is worried about one of the Heat players hitting Embiid in the face and going after his orbital bone. Well, if we're getting right down to it, the only chance the Flyers had in the series against the Penguins was to disable Malkin or Crosby. But ultimately, if you're not nearly as good as the team you're playing, just taking a stick foul against Crosby or Malkin to the jar or elbowing Embiid in the melon is not going to get you home. It's not good enough. And... While the the gulf or the delta between the Heat and the Sixers is not as great as the distance between the Flyers and the Penguins, the bottom line is I don't think the Heat could physically impress themselves on the Sixers in a way 
to make up for the, the difference in skill. As you saw, the Sixers have won two games in this series, one by 20 and one by 27. And the Heat gummed and mucked their way to one game where the referees let them do whatever they wanted with no Embiid on the floor in game two. For me, this series is over. And no matter what the Heat feel like doing, look, no one's going to punch Embiid in the mask or elbow him. Well, certainly not Whiteside is going to em- uh, elbow him in the face. It's not going to happen. So for me, it's over. So I, I do like the idea of this kind of, of being physically a, impressing yourself inverse, upon someone. I, I, I was like going to say like an, an like. inverse, kind of an inverse of, of what the uh, Flyers Penguin series is, because there were moments in this game where I felt the way that Miami was kind of trying to throw Philly off their game was very reminiscent of what we've seen the Flyers try to do against the Penguins in this series which has not been competitive. It's been lopsided. Anthony and, I, Anthony and I talked about this on Thursday or Wednesday, Wednesday into Thursday on Snow the Goalie. Like this is this is an issue that that the Flyers have faced. Is like they they lack talent, they lack coaching, they lack a lot of things. Um, but one of the things that you know you, you kind of see is they get undisciplined, and I think this Heat team is undisciplined. Um, and maybe it is their identity. It very well could be that they're this like blue collar team. They're a bunch of misfit toys that have just kind of been cobbled together. And Spolstra's a good coach. A lot of times, I think, and I, I kind of had bought into this for a while, that Spolstra was only good because he had LeBron and Bosch and, and Dwayne Wade all in their prime. He's done a good job. Like this, this team really doesn't have any reason to look relatively or remotely competitive against the Sixers team. And the fact that they ended up kind of. Um, you know, lining up and, and making this a much chippier and maybe a much um, uh, a tougher series for the Sixers team. They knew the best way to do it, and Spolster has put it into play. It's it's get in the Sixers' faces. Don't allow them into free into free open space. Don't let their motion offense work. You know, disrupt them at every at every um, point. They've also gotten chippy. And what's the other Johnson? Not Tyler Johnson. The other Johnson, Johnson, whatever his name was, James Johnson with the terrible neck tattoo. Like the fact that he was going to get into it with Simmons and drew him into a into a double technical situation, like that's the exact kind of thing they have to do. the The thought that kind of crossed my mind was um, was it like two thousand two, two thousand three, uh, when Philly when the Eagles were playing the Falcons. Remember there was the pregame fight where Jeremiah Trotter got into it with um, one of like the Falcons. I don't know, it was like like fourth or fifth cornerback on I'm the roster. I'm surprised you were watching and, sports and back he, then. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, and he ended up getting himself ejected. He didn't even get to play in the game. No. Uh, I, I wonder. I wonder if at if at some point, you know, like this this uh, the way that Johnson kind of went after Simmons, uh, and the, the way that it looks like they've been trying to goad our guys into you know committing stupid technical fouls or getting themselves into jawing matches, trying to throw them off their game. I wonder if at some point it's going to be you know, that it might work. Not that they're going to get ejected, but it's going to throw them off the rhythm. And it didn't happen in this game, which is good. And I, I kind of wonder going forward in other series against, you know, I mentioned Boston before, but, you know, it's a young team. And if, if you're able to get under their skin a little bit, you know, you kind of you want to see them rise up and face the adversity. And I think Ben's done a really good job of it. He certainly bounced Speaking back. Speaking of Ben real quick, um, one stat I did want to mention, he was 7 for 8 from the free throw line tonight. I think he's nine, 19 for tw- uh, – what was he in the first game? I think he's like 19 for 24 or 25 from the foul line in this series. And that's huge. You know, and it looked totally gonna, horrible doing it. It looked totally horrible doing it, but they went in. Um, I mean, if they're going to foul and they're going to hack and grab and stuff like that, that's huge, you know. And even Embiid, I think, you know, he, he shot eight foul shots before he hit – 
you know, anything from the field. And I think that kind of helped loosen him up a little bit, honestly. So, you know, if they're going to do that to you then and put you on the line, then you got to hit him. And so they were 28 for 37, like 75% tonight, which is, uh, which is better than uh, what, what they've had been shooting previously, I think. I mean, when you look at uh, how, how at least at least Ben and Joel maybe. But, uh, I mean, that's a good sign. So it's worth sharing. Yeah, I agree. I think that's uh, – to me, that's going to be a big part of their – you know, game two is the one game – one really close, genuinely close game they've played, you know, in a month plus, really. Um, and, you know, if there's one knock on them, at least from early in the season, it's that they had trouble closing out games. They got better as the season went on, certainly. Um, but you're going to wind up in a lot of playoff games that come down to free throws. And – you know, I I feel like I'm sounding like you here, Russ. But if the if there's a way they're going to get tripped up before the Eastern Conference Finals or even in the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, it, I don't think they're just going to like get outright beat. I think it's going to be a situation where they're going to not be able to do those little veteran things that guys like Dwayne Wade can do. Um, you know, with the late steal, with the dagger bucket, um, you know, and then getting to the yeah, line. Like, yeah. there's going to be a, those little things where I think the inexperience would hurt them. Like, it's going to come probably down the best to... team in the East, but it's are they the, you know, are they the most prepared to win? You know, and it. So to your point, it's a good sign to see Ben Simmons hitting the free throws because, you know, it, there might come a time when you you got to send him into the lane and, and hope to God he can get fouled and hit free throws. Ultimately, it's going to come down to some some tight fourth quarter games where they're going to have to run half court offense. You know, and uh, those are the kinds of you know kinds of games that that make guys like LeBron and and D Wade and and Kevin Durant. You know, and uh, they're they're a ways away from getting to that point in the in the playoffs but uh you know eventually that's what's going to happen they're going to be in a game six or a game seven with two minutes left and the score is going to be tied and then what you know and it's gonna be a lot of brett brown in that too you know do you give the touches to joel down low do you draw something up for jj but you know tonight was a huge first step in saying look this is what this is what playoff basketball is and now you've experienced it and now you got to go out and keep doing that and what's Thank it? you, Kevin, for segueing me into Brett Brown. So the concern Uh-oh. is that – No, 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 no. Keep me cannon, you mean? Uh, Russell, we're not here for that. <laughs> I'm suggesting that if this coach is all we say he is, and Lord knows if he leads them to a first-round playoff series, they look like they're going to win two series at least. He should be extended. He's a wonderful coach, and um, Lord knows um, I have regrets. But moving on, practically speaking, you can't put the ball in Simmons' hands with two minutes left up five. But they have Bellinelli. They have Reddick. They have Covington. You have to find ways to make Simmons a decoy and run him off screens and make the defense look at him but get the ball into somebody else. Because Reddick and Bellinelli and Covington are reliable free throw shooters. Make sure you get it to them. Don't let this game come down to... Simmons, who is you know fifty six percent for the regular season, a little better than that in the playoffs so far. Don't let it come down to him. That's not fair to him, and it's a waste of resources. I, well, I don't. Yeah. Go ahead. That, that was that was kind of like I you know I think when we let off today, like bringing up the fact that Bellinelli was running the offense at the end of the game, and it wasn't because of the free throw situation. It's just I think that was kind of a, a trial run of of sorts to kind of prepare themselves for what the end of games are going to look like kind of to what you're saying, Phil, like getting the ball out of Ben's hands, but getting him used to, you know, being off ball 
in those kind of situations and and get himself set up as a secondary ball handler uh, in those crucial junctures of the game. Um, you know, they can't they can't just give it to a decent shooter or a decent ball handler like Bellinelli and put him on an island. Like that simply will not work. They're still going to have to run the offense. So it was it was I thought encouraging to see them be successful in doing that at the end of that game. The with ironic Bellinelli at the helm. The ironic thing is is that that's the role, that end-of-game role where you need a basket, you need a score that Mark Fultz is supposed to occupy. Um, and, you know, obviously it, it sucks that he's not there and, ho- and hopefully he gets there because you see, we see now how utterly dominant this team could be if Fultz is even, like, you know, mid-level first-round caliber or just, like, starting player caliber with his skill set. And I think that's why, you know, you see, you know, honestly – Bellinelli's probably that guy right now, which is, you know, not ideal. As good as he's been, you know, he's he's streaky and gets hot in a hurry and never shoots vertically. But, um, you know, it's just kind Why of why does ironic. that bother you so much? It it it's no, it doesn't bother me. It's I'm you just mentioned just, it. You mentioned it almost as much as I did about you know JJ not setting his feet. It's a it's amazing. No, but yeah, whereas it's not a knock on. It's just amazing. Like he. Even if he's open, like he's just going to go up at a forty-five degree angle. It's impressive. Like really, it's impressive because I mean, if, if nothing else, um, you know, you see the the best shooters, especially now. Like you know, there's so much. You know, there's guys use so much video and work on their form so much, and you look at guys like Redick who are you know perfect, and Steph Curry who are perfect, and these great shooters. And then you see Bellinelli out there, like a you know, like a ju- like a jumping bean or whatever they're called. Is there, is there such a thing as a jumping bean? Yeah. Uh, there are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, he's just sort of like hopping around out there, like the Easter Bunny, and they're going in, like all of them, no matter what angle he's at. I I don't know. I think it's impressive. But he's that guy. Like right now, I feel like if you need a basket, you know, Redick is not the best at creating for himself. Redick, I feel like when he starts to get into that dribble head down mode, and I'm sure there's a metric that can prove this or, or disprove this, I feel like he becomes a better passer out of that situation because he does command a lot of attention, and it, guys tend to spring free uh, when he's doing a lot of that um, you know, on the perimeter. I feel like Covington should just never put the ball on the floor. Uh, so, so I think that role would fall to Bellinelli if you need, like, hey, we, we need a score. We need a two somehow. It's a Mexican jumping bean is what you're thinking of. There Why do they have to be Mexican, Kevin? Yeah, I was trying um, to not offend there were a Russ. Couple... <laughs> Why does that offend? Are you allowed to say what? that in 2018? You... Mexican I, jumping? Yeah, game? I, okay. I don't even know what you're allowed to say. Aren't you Spanish, Russ? There were a couple. No. Um, so there were a couple. Uh, no. <laughs> Just no. Uh, there were a couple questions on Twitter that I think we should get to. Um, here's one. I guess we can open this up to everybody. Were Ajax fans justified in their behavior last weekend? Hashtag Ask Kevin. <laughs> That's a soccer not, question. Yeah, That's a joke. Not, I, I know those, exactly. Those, I know. Those, I don't even have to see it to know who asked that. I, re, I refuse to answer that. Okay. Um, is Dario ever coming over? I like that in the uh, interview leading up to Game Three. Uh, he was, I think, he was on WIP, and they asked something along those lines, and he's like, "Well, I'm fifty-fifty if I'm still coming over." This is, I think, a good question. Um, Vince Piatti asked this on Twitter. Uh, Will one of these Roco games ultimately cost us a series? And I think I think what he's referring to is uh, game two. Covington shot like crap, uh, and even in this game, it felt like uh, he was streaky at best. He nailed a three at the end of the he game. He was getting ragged um, by by Dragic there for a little bit too in the third quarter. That was 
that was, I think, one of the most shocking things is for a guy that, that we can rely on typically to be the number one defender on a team, the fact that he uh, was having such a hard time covering Dragic was, was a little bit shocking to me. Um, in the third quarter, they, they ended up changing that defensive matchup in the fourth. Covington's a really to, to, to Covington's to a really tough guy to to analyze. I mean, it, it really requires a lot of like digging and a lot of film and stuff, which I, I guess is why the one story that I did on that ended up being like three thousand words. You know, so I won't repeat it here. But again, his his strengths defensively have never been. You know, he's not like Bruce Bowen. You know, he's not going to like clamp down and lock down a guy one on one. His his you know his strength has always been his versatility you know that he can guard a guy theoretically like Dragic and then go guard James Johnson in the same possession with not as not as much drop off as you would see from somebody else doing that kind of thing and that's what allows him to switch one through three or one through four blah 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 or whatever but yeah it's very you know he he had that 0 for 10 shooting game I think you remember against Miami in the regular season too so I, I don't know. I don't know. To answer the question, I don't know. I don't think one of those games is going to kill him necessarily. Um, but he's. it's always been more about utility with Covington more than anything that jumps off the page at you, you know. So the subtleties are there, but I don't I don't think he was you – know, he had a he were really good defensive uh, quarter in the third quarter of game one where he was just locking down anybody and everybody and making a lot of plays. But last two games, it's not been the, the same guy that you've seen for most of the season. I feel like there's never been a player who there's so much you know, like rain or dichotomy of when he when he's on, you know, he mm-hmm. he can't miss and is electric and when he's off it looks like, you know, he he doesn't belong on the court. True. Like he's forcing yeah. everything he's doing. And they're the same shots a lot of times. And when he's on they're they're all going in. It's, you know, three all three point shooters are streaky to an extent, but you know, none of them quite look like that. Where it's like, man, he's why is he firing that up? He he sucks right now. Why is he firing that up? And then, you know, other times they just they're all falling. Well, the swings. There's, there's no middle ground with him. I feel no, like. there's not. And like the swings in IQ and awareness too. Those are the same too on, on both sides of the court too. You know, like you'll see him defensively do something really shrewd and really under the radar. Like he'll pre-switch a screen attempt with like the clock running out in a quarter. But then on the offensive end, like tonight he had a layup where he looked like he didn't really know what he wanted to do at the rim. You know, kind of didn't go in all the way, but didn't do enough to shield the ball either. So. It's yeah, you're right, Kyle. It's a, it's a, a wide spectrum for him. You know, I think it's like really hard to judge him just looking at the stat sheet too. You know, because his bad looks really bad, and his really good is a little harder to identify. And I also think because people have preconceived notions about Covington because he was an original process guy. You know, and so I think a lot of the Sam Hinkie types, you know, are inherently biased in a positive way towards him. And I think some of the people that came in this year or late later said, "Oh, this guy's." a leftover and he's not good enough, you know? So it's, yeah, he's just a polarizing type of dude. Speaking of process people, Kyle, we got a uh, five-star review. It's been a while. Um, hey, why don't you EC- tell everybody about your day today? Why? Yeah, why are I we find it, I f- I There's find a five-star hum- review. We have a I beautiful five-star review just Can sitting out here. Do me that favor. It's fantastic. Oh, my God. Now Dwayne Wade, real-time update, uh, was said Justin Anderson was brought in by the Sixers as a quote-unquote tough guy, and the refs wouldn't do anything about it, so he had to take matters into his own hands. Uh, oh, good. John John Chaney called in the goon. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Justin <laughs> yep. Anderson is, is Nehemiah Ingram necessarily because uh, Anderson actually hit a couple three-pointers uh, in this game. How's that, Kyle? Did you think that we would mention Eric Devendorf, Jerry McNamara, 
Carl Carl Krauser and uh, Nehemiah Ingram all on the same podcast. Lawrence Moten's feelings are very hurt. Throwing it back <laughs> to the aughts, <laughs> the aughts basketball. I don't think I think I think Dwayne Wade, to Russ's point, believes that the Sixers were not playing ethical basketball. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Kyle, a five-star review from ECVD process. Not until this, you tell people about your day, man. Why? You spent so I got so far so, okay. into Russ. So I'm sitting at I'm sitting at I'm, Russ's I'm sitting <laughs> So I'm sitting at work. Kyle <clears throat> sends me a text and nope. he goes uh slack. he goes, "No, it was a text." Was it, was it slack. a Slack? It was Slack. Okay. It says 1818 uh and it was like March 19th show listen like that doesn't make any sense like he's he's like back to doing his code the kyle code it's not an ethical code it's just a code so <laughs> which I, is literally a timestamp and a date like it couldn't be more well clear. the 18 the 18 i thought you were saying that like this is info about a live podcast which excites me all the time i'm like why would you go back and mine a, a an old episode for a talking point so, so i go back and he says march 19th I am like skimming through the old podcast episodes. I mistakenly click on one from, or I, I click on the right one, which is March nineteenth. Which it says eighteen minute mark is uh, Ryan Archie Diacato versus Dante Divincenzo. I click out of it, and I click back in, and I must have ended up on the next day's episode, which was uh, March twentieth, where I said I think the Sixers had a legitimate shot to jump over Indiana. Washington and Cleveland for the number three seed in the Eastern Conference. And I was like, wow, this is really nice that you went back and listened to this and you were giving me kudos because I, I was right about one thing. Only for, for Kyle to say no, dummy. Like, that was that was not the 19th. The 19th was the uh, Archie Diacono and Dante DiVincenzo uh, thing. I did not listen to it. The, the, the interesting part, which you have completely left it. out, is that he spent three hours today wondering what the hell I meant and why I was texting him to go listen to this episode you mean uh, slacking and, and what's that nothing go ahead yeah no i, I ruined your afternoon because you were wondering what the hell i meant by this and yeah, uh, it was you, like you went, listened to an entire show that was not even the correct one no, I, and then well, you I and then you got a thousand notifications on your phone <laughs> oh yeah that was that was the thing that was was a bigger issue so on uh, crossingbroad.com if you haven't done so already you need to do it asap uh there is a giveaway uh two tickets to game five of sixers heat all you have to do is put in your name, your email, uh, gender, and uh, what age. And because you know, you I was left the, one... the age field as a long text paragraph field. I didn't know how to change it because you know you were running off to a meeting and you wanted me to put the thing up. So I did. You're welcome. And um, so I have people and... who have written written out <laughs> oh, their age awful stuff. in text. There's, someone wrote the word cunt. Stuff. Someone no. wrote. See, well, I didn't want you to say that. Someone wrote. Well, I'm 29. <laughs> and somebody goes 37, aka old as f. Uh, that was a thing. But anyway, um, I, I didn't realize that when you make one of these forms on the way that, that they're made for the site that I was going to get an email notification of every time somebody entered to win. So my inbox is literally flooded with thousands of people putting in their name for uh, for this giveaway. So get on crossingbroad.com, find that post. I think it's one of the four feature posts on desktop. And uh, put in your name and, and all that stuff and, uh, you know, Win two tickets to the uh, Sixers Heat Game Five. It could be the clincher if you're subscribed to the uh, Phil Kaidel thought process, the thought bubble, the think tank of Kaidel. That will be the uh, series clincher. So, if you're paying attention, yeah, that. All right, I I I guess that's probably about 
the best place to wrap up, right? No, I, uh, I want to add one more thing before we go. Good. And this is a shout out to at underscore Holly Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fact that will blow your man's mind. You ready? <laughs> Carson Wentz played at Los Angeles, Los Angeles Rams on December 10th, 2017 and blew out his knee. And we all gave up on the season and we all thought it was all over. Guess what is going to happen in 2018? The Eagles are playing at the Rams on December 16th. And Wentz will probably play in that same stadium against the same team. Wait, it's the same date? No, it's it's six days different. Okay, I thought it was but close. But my it's, point it's being, it's yeah. the same goddamn week. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I I'm not the type to overstate things, but are you kidding me, NFL? Really? You have to send our baby our franchise guy back into the same fray within six days in a calendar year of where he blew his knee up and we thought everything was dead so again at underscore holly elizabeth tell your man oh man look out for this like we got to make sure wentz is okay for this because this is terrible look out I agree. i noticed that on the schedule i thought wait a minute i can't believe that I, i hate when they do this like it happened with the Seahawks in back-to-back year. Like, how do they keep getting shitty back-to-back road games against quality NFC West opponents? Like, how how is this a thing? How two years in a row they have to go on the road and play a good team out West? In this one, it's at Dallas and at Los Angeles back-to-back. Ugh. Now, I'm not sure Dallas being any good, but I'm, it's still a tough, you know, two-step. What did all I'm that have to do with uh, Holly, by the way? <laughs> well, I'm just trying to give her a little factoid to make her man happy. Oh, yeah. oh, is this? Oh, oh, this that'll do it. Back to, uh, this is, this Can is I Bob. give a shout out before we wrap it up? I want to uh, say thank you to everybody who voted in the worst of Philadelphia bracket. Uh, we had the national championship game the other day, and the Schuylkill Expressway uh, defeated the city wage tax uh, to be the very worst thing in Philadelphia. I thought the Philadelphia Parking Authority would win, but uh, the PPA was upset by Comcast. Uh, in the Elite Eight, so go figure. Uh, maybe next year I'll have to reseed. But uh, you know, the betting. The Philadelphia Parking Authority is a corrupt organization, and I'm going to come oh, down to their no, office every I didn't day. Mean to get and I'm going to film. <laughs> and I'm going to film. No, and I'm going to sit no, down no. with the people, and I'm going to talk to them every day. And we are going to prove that this is a corrupt thing. That even Pablo Escobar himself would have been disgusted. Well, I think by. I I know whose side I'm on in that fight. I'm uh, purely on uh, Tony's side in that fight. So. The the betting see the betting sharps would have would have taken the money on Skookill or Skookle as I would I call. Hate it. How, thank you, thank you. <laughs> what you hate how Kevin pronounced it? I did. I did. How too. did I say? I, it? I grew up in Skookle. Skookill. You said like yeah, Skookill. Squeal, you were like Skookill, and uh, you really no, pronounced Skookle. The it's it's there. it's Skookle. Um, for you. those who grew up in Skookle County, where we have nothing, not even uh, the internet. Uh, hence the uh, bumper sticker Skook. S K O O K. Well, I just to, just no, to but, prove that I'm not a total asshole too. I did a best of Philadelphia bracket and I put it up on Twitter. So for like the one dude who didn't get the joke and kind of took the thing seriously, like no, it was not supposed to be serious, obviously, or else I wouldn't be living in Philadelphia, would I? So uh, I did that and I shouted out uh, who was the number one seed. I think I had Ron Brooks national anthems as a number one seed in that. So if you want the uh, positive side of it, that's the you know there you go. You can look that up. 
The, yeah, but I, I think you're betting sharps. The reason you may have, I think people who live in the city and have to park in the city would probably put the, the PPA very high yeah, on the list. Yeah. But if you're dealing with a readership, you know, that has a lot of people in the suburbs this, and you got to come into the city a lot, the Schuylkill yeah, is, uh, yeah. Schuylkill is, is imagine if you drive in, yeah, imagine if you drive in from like Conshohocken every day, uh, to Philly, you got to drive the Schuylkill expressway and pay the city wage tax at the same time. And maybe you're listening to Ingy and Levi and whoever on the radio. So you had like a whole final four thing in there, you know, and you have Comcast. So. But thank you everybody for, you for the support. We appreciate there's, it. There's nothing worse than living 90 minutes away and getting driving an hour before you even hit the Schuylkill <laughs> yeah. or the bottom of 476 or whichever crazy back, you know, back way, uh, your navigation system wants to take you. So there yeah. you go. Well, hey, listen, it's been fun, gentlemen. I'm going to uh, I'm going to leave you with that. I think Phil and I are now going to stay up until uh, the early hours of the uh, the Friday morning. A stupid hour. Recording a uh, a brand new episode of uh, Crossing Broad FC. You guys, I can't wait. You guys enjoy that. I'm going to go start off season three in billions on a show. Wow. Uh, yeah. Featuring the dude from uh, Homeland. Oh, great show. Yeah, I got to watch that. And uh, who's the uh, who's the other guy in that? The uh, the the um, Giamatti. Is it Giamatti? Giamatti. Uh, he's yeah. awesome. He is so he is so brooding in that is the best way to describe him. Highly recommend that show. Uh, All right, yeah. good stuff, guys. I'm out. Good job, everybody. Say it. All right. Well, this has been Crossing Broadcast. Don't forget to uh, check out the other shows in the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Crossed Up. By the way, Paul Giamatti looks like Anthony Sanfilippo. Oh my god. No, he doesn't. Yes, he Crossing does. Crossing Bride FC. Go Google. And it's always soccer in Philadelphia. We will be back on Monday and uh we'll be recapping some more playoff games. So uh talk to you then.